a.m. May 22nd, entering the RSS feed of Got It Memorized, a Twin Peaks podcast with a Kingdom Hearts quote for a title. Shouldn't be too hard to remember. I'm sure the hosts have a fun show. That's what I need. Fun show, reasonably paced. I'm Wheels, and this is Joe. How are you, Joe? Who the heck ever heard of diet lasagna? That is the best line. <laughs> I can't stop I, thinking I, about it. I did not recall that that line exists. <laughs> and it caught me off guard. Tell him to get over you. I need help. That's all us. The most wonderful Mayday, way. mayday. Uh, Doc Hayward's my new is, favorite character. This show is brilliant. It's, it, it's so good. Unrivaled. All right. Now that I've jumped ahead to the least important, like, joke mm-hmm. in the episode. Hi, everybody. My name is Joe. Welcome back to, to, to Gim Peaks, as I've been referring to it behind the scenes. <laughs> uh, That's ep- funny. Ep- episode four, the fifth episode overall. Uh, is titled The One-Armed Man. I bet you can guess what the focus is going to be for the most of this. How wild is it that we are more than halfway done with season one? Uh, it is a strange feeling. We're going to have the opposite feeling into season two. That's, that sure is the ride. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I think the return is like right down the middle. It just kind of feel like you just kind of know what you're in for the whole time. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, if you're not there for what the return is doing, you're gone after the mm-hmm. first step. <laughs> like, that's, that's the thing with the return is it, uh, it separates the, it, it weeds you out if it's not for you pretty quick. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I hope, I hope anyway, our, I hope our podcast coverage of it doesn't weed people out as well. <laughs> There's a lot of people who listen to the show who don't necessarily watch or follow along with the stuff we do. Well, I mean, I this is the first time we've done a show, but like, have it hasn't played along with the games. Um, and I think the return probably will have a good number of people who do that and are just like listening to it. Like, this doesn't sound like a real show you're describing. Yeah, yeah, it's that you probably those folks probably feel a bit like that already, but it'll just get turned up to the nth degree in the, mm-hmm. the movie uh, Fire Walk with Me as well that, as the return. Yeah. I think they're both equally dense and inscrutable yeah someone someone in the discord was saying that they were like not really retaining a lot from just the episodes and i i was just like it's a it's in a really visual show like that's even though lynch doesn't direct everything it's all really in his style of like uh using the scene uh to yeah there's not much else going on that we're not telling you really Mm -hmm. but it's just well so this episode this will be a good transition this episode starts with what is essentially recap. There are a number of scenes like this throughout the show that do the very script economical thing in an, in an episodic, like a, like a series in that it acts as a recap, but it also establishes some things that weren't, that were kind of up in the air before. So it's Sarah Palmer, Laura's mom talking to Sheriff Truman some more about, about Laura, but specifically in this scene about the visions that she's been having about mm-hmm. Laura. And it clears up that that scene, I think at the end of the pilot with the hand reaching down into the Is dirt and grabbing the, the other yeah. half of the necklace, which we later found out uh, was uh, that hand was Dr. Jacoby. This is confirming that that was, in fact, a vision that's that Sarah Palmer saw. So like before mm-hmm. it was just kind of visually implied to us, like 
we see her and then we see the hand reaching down into the dirt and then we cut back to her and she's screaming but here it's kind of a recap that that happened and then a solidification that that's indeed what it was is that it was a vision the show Mm -hmm. kind of does that a lot where it's like something will be vague before and then a few episodes later they'll give you the details you need yeah this episode is uh written by robert ingles um great friend of mark's i've heard and uh apparently yeah he's he's got a lot of names on uh twin peaks as the the franchise um did you You were joking about my joke you were joking about Karl Marx and this angle, I, but I thought you meant Mark as in Mark Marx, a friend of Marx oh, as in Frost. Mark Frost. Uh, that's not the, oh, I didn't even realize that I could have been missed. <laughs> like, I didn't even know you were making I was a making I was a like, bit. Oh, I didn't know this friend, this person. Oh, this person knows Mark Frost. That's neat. Good to know. That's no, not was, what you meant. That's not the bit. I, I didn't even realize that those were the same phonetically. Hilarious. Uh, he's He's got a lot of writing credits. He's got a producer producing credits across uh, season two. Apparently, um... Writing also credit on Firewalk With Me, the movie, which is neat. Oh, interesting. Uh, and directed by Tim Hunter, who has done three Twin Peaks episodes, apparently did one movie, did some episodes of Breaking Bad Mad Men, so mainly a TV guy. All feels, you know, perfectly within the house styles of the show. Speaking of the style of the show and speaking of clarifying things for people who are just listening to this and not watching it, I don't know where else to say this, so I will just do it awkwardly. Do it. If you're in, if you're trying to imagine the show without necessarily watching it, you're going to need to imagine it like three shades redder than you are oh, yeah. <laughs> than you have been. Mm-hmm. That it, it, it's so. The first time I saw it, I thought that the show, like it was something, like it was just like a bad DVD release or something. You know what I mean? Like, like it was just kind of like a not very high quality mm-hmm. transfer or something. But that is. But the show is just color corrected, very red, and it has a like. I wonder why. It has a kind of. That was a joke. What did you What did you say? I said I wonder why, but I wanted to clarify that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it makes the thing feel a lot like livelier. Like everyone seems a little more. Well, I guess it kind of makes them look like they're constantly blushing in a way. You know, it seems like they're a little f- more full of life or something. That's uh, just a visual choice that mm-hmm. we probably won't mention on our audio show, but it's there. Yeah, yeah, it's a very visually compelling show. This is a complete tangent, but did you know that Lynch wanted to do a lot more of the digital stuff in the return like he did Inland Empire, but Showtime said no? Like, can you imagine a return wow. that looked like Inland Empire? That would be... I think that would be interesting. It I th- would be like, interesting, I, I can actually sure. see, now that you describe it, I can see some of the scenes in that show as as working in that other visual context. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. I wish I could remember where I read that, but um, I'll probably look up more in a calendar year when we get there. I, I said I didn't want to read all these Log Lady intros and I watched on the Blu-ray. Uh, but the thing is, they keep being complete fucking bangers. So, <laughs> Hit me. I, I want to read this one. Uh, this one's like much closer on her face, but she says, even the ones who laugh are sometimes caught without an answer. These creatures who introduce themselves, but we swear we have met them somewhere before. Yes? Look in the mirror. What do you see? Is it a dream or a nightmare? Are we being introduced against our will? Are they mirrors? I can see the smoke. I can smell the fire. The battle is drawing nigh. What? It's really neat because because I've never, as I mentioned, I've never seen these. You have because you're seeing them as you watch them. They're on the Blu-ray, yeah. There, there's some, there's like interesting stuff here that I think connects with 
something I was thinking on this watch, which we'll get to. That it's a banger, particularly later. That it is a banger, but also this thing about this thing about like mirrors and being unable to mm-hmm. distinguish between uh, between people, um, like it's creatures who introduce themselves, but we swear we've met them somewhere before. This kind of mistaken identity thing comes up, yeah. in the episode uh, in an interesting way, in a way that I was yeah. going to talk about. Anyway, so I, uh, we'll do that when we get there, I guess. I, I, I think I was, we might be thinking along similar lines now. There's something really interesting. This is such a self-congratulatory bit, and I don't mean to fucking talk this way, but uh, there's something really nice about rewatching it with, like, so many more years of, like, understanding cinema <laughs> than the last time I watched mm-hmm. it. Uh, and just being, like, and especially, I think, all the Kingdom Hearts analysis we've done, where what I really like about Lynch's dream logic, and I'm sure Frost has a big hand in lining some of this out to more... In, in more detail than Lynch ever would by himself. Uh, but I just really love how the dream logic is never just like a one-to-one thing. It's always like a, a line, like there, there are so many connective threads, but it's never just, oh yeah, the thing that they said in the dream is just exactly true in the real world. It feels, so it is definitely a dream world that we, because we'll get into it more uh, as we go through, but but we've kind of already seen from previous episodes that there exists kind of this, yeah, as Joe's describing, dream world. But later we'll see that it kind of just ex- exists as like the spiritual, the spiritual plane of this place. Mm-hmm. And you're right in that, like, the ways in which the spirit realm interacts with the physical are, it, it's it's inconsistent and it's almost like... In very compelling uh, ways. It, it's, it's really messy in that, like, it feels like it's not... The spirit realm doesn't work right in the physical and vice versa. Mm-hmm. We see we'll later see the one the titular of this episode, one armed man, but he is entirely different from the one that we've seen in the spirit world. And that is the mistaken identity thing I was going to get to uh, th- that the log lady intro reminded me of, because there's like a lot of that going forward from here. And this yeah. is the first like clear example of someone being entirely different when they're in the spirit or dream world than the person that they are in the physical world. You might, you might now, as we're getting into some of this talk, uh, realize why so badly we wanted to do uh, this ABC soap opera crime drama on our Kingdom Hearts podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, just repeating what Margaret says in that intro, like, are they mirrors? Right. Are they? Are we being introduced against our will? Mm. Who could say? Anyways... Yeah, Sarah Palmer describes her stuff. Have we talked about how Andy Brennan is like a perfect sketch artist, Deputy no. Andy? Because he is. He draws a perfect picture of Frank Silva, uh, the, the man yeah. with the long hair that she saw in the vision, Bob. Uh, which I see why they keep him around. Mm-hmm. Also, he's just, he's just, he, he's, they say. I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah, he's why a sweet you? little yeah. guy. He's a sweet big guy. Sweet he's big a, he's guy. a whole damn town. Uh, but There's so many big guys is in that right? show. But we got we got Andy's is t- like the men in Twin Peaks are built like Douglas first. <laughs> yeah, there's there's something um, in the water. Uh, also, I just between, wanted to like Sheriff Truman is very tall, but he is not even like one of the taller characters in the show because Big Ed is as tall as fuck. Andy's as tall as fuck. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I don't remember his name. Norma's husband, who's Hank. Uh, Hank. Yeah. Uh, who we will see later, who will be introduced visually in this episode. We've only heard about him before. 
Norma was like on heels and he's like still dwarfing. It's and she's not a short woman. Mm-hmm. Why are all these men so tall? Is just all I'm asking. Visually compelling. That's that's true. Uh, yeah. So Andy Andy makes this perfect sketch of Bob, which I you know. If you ever look up stuff, Bob is always written in all caps. He's kind of got the Dio thing going on uh, from, mm-hmm. from, from JoJo. But he's doing that. She is describing her visions. Uh, Donna is notably there. Also, Madeline, uh, the, the cousin who looks exactly like Laura. Uh, Cooper notably is not here. He draws attention to it later. Um, and, yeah, they're just listening. Yeah, the recap, basically, of what she saw. So a really good note that I like is Leland comes in. And is just so dismissive yeah. of her visions having any value to them. He just thinks that she's, you know, quote, like, gone, gone crazy. Yeah, it's, he doesn't, like, he doesn't outright say it, but. It's in the performance. It's, right? it's all in the delivery. Um, mm-hmm. He's like, oh, did you tell them about the second vision? Oh, they're going to love that one. Like, it's kind of that delivery. But he's also just a completely broken man mm-hmm. right now. So it he comes goes back off. and forth. Yeah. It, I don't know how he does that because, like, I couldn't even do that. His inflection in in my mimicry, in my attempt to directly mimic his line reading, but there's there's the dual aspect of both like being dismiss being dismissive while also being completely broken and. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Wise is a good actor. <laughs> broken himself, yeah, he is a very good. That's actor. Why he keeps playing Satan and things, but yeah, so she she describes the the necklace vision and also like it, it's interesting because like. He's on this side of this, you know, he's he's with like the like Benjamin Horn, the, you know, the land development people, basically, uh, where there, there's really these two sides of Twin Peaks, people who care about like, I don't quote moving into the there's future. two kinds of people in this world, fish and percolators. <laughs> But yes, um, but yeah, like he's like uh, all, all this, you know, mumbo jumbo. I want to build them all. Uh, Harry, of course, is like completely believing all of this stuff of course he's going to as we as we talked about in the last episode we talked to cooper about like this place has a dark history there's a darkness in those woods uh so he listens very intently to the story she describes the necklace being dug up uh by the gloved hand and donna of course is like fuck that's like i know that's real i put it there yeah so she like she like turns away to to just tear up basically Wonderful. Now that we're 20 minutes in, you want to go to the second scene? <laughs> yes. Yes. It, look, this first season, like this first season's going to be a it's lot of episodes of our, like yeah. this. Yeah. This next scene is really funny. Perfect. It's perfect. Lucy watching in the, the in-universe soap opera Invitation to Love. And mm-hmm. then Sheriff Truman asks, comes in and asks, like, what's going on? And she doesn't realize that he means, like, what's the situation here? She thinks he wants a recap of what's happening on Invitation to Love, so she explains it to him in her very fast way. I wanna, I wanna, Funny. I wanna listen to Lucy's podcast recapping Invitation to Love because she's really good at it. Her episodes are gonna be even longer. <laughs> That's true. Did she? Yeah, I, I think you have to like drag her away from a microphone at some point. We just like tell her to start explaining something to you. you have to, you'd have to stop her. Um, but yeah, after after she does her her. Very charming monologue. Sheriff Truman's like, what's going on here? Uh, and she tells him that Sheriff Truman is in the conference room with Dr. Jacoby. We're finally getting Ugh. a real, uh, you know, we had the interaction between Jacoby and Cooper at the funeral or at, not notably not at the funeral. Yeah. Um, the night after the funeral at the gravesite uh, of Laura. Um, but we haven't really had a 
detective interviewing uh, subject. A, ma- type a man of who clearly needs to them. be detected. Yeah. Is this the is this the first time he's worn the red and blue glasses? No, I think he always does, doesn't he? For some reason, watching this episode, this is the first time I was like, "Oh, there they are." So I don't. I could. I could just be wrong. I might be transposing it in my brain, but I think I think he always wears them. I I I feel like he you know always does, but this is the first time I was like, "Oh, I got to make sure I talk about that at least." Or actually, maybe not, because now that I'm thinking about the pilot, I think he's not wearing them because I think his. Because mm-hmm. his eye, it's I. I'm thinking of his facial expressions as being very. He, he's eye acting. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, you might be right. Actually. Yeah. Uh, either way, he wears these a lot. Uh. One, it's just glasses. Big, big glasses. One frame is red. One frame is blue. There is a reason for it. Couldn't tell you what it is. But uh, he does. Uh, he does close up magic with golf balls. Oh, it's great. The conversation that they end up having once the Cooper interrupts his unprompted magic trick is the conversation that they end up having is like Cooper just wants the deets on what he knows about Laura and Dr. Jacoby is acting a little cagey because he is kind of doing his own investigation because in treating Laura as one of his patients as a psychiatrist, uh, he has come to the conclusion that uh, that Laura's life is a web of lies and that mm-hmm. she uh, has essentially built out protections around the secrets that she has. Um, and he clearly has some sort of fascination with it, verging on an inappropriate fascination with it. I would just say I it mean, is. Maybe not even verging, it just, just an imp- yeah. inappropriate obsession. Eventually they do get to, he does get a little more forthright and what is it what's the clue that he tells cooper uh the car i believe yeah that's right he says the night after laura died i followed a man that uh laura had spoken to me about he was driving a red corvette i followed him to the old sawmill road and then i lost him and that gentleman is all i can tell you and uh we ha- we're, we're, we'll see that red corvette in uh in this episode mm-hmm. and who it belongs to but before we get to that we gotta hear a, a good call from david lynch a really great character david lynch himself uh calls agent cooper on the phone uh because david lynch himself plays his supervisor gordon cole um so he calls in and it says some stuff he basically updates like more stuff that was discovered from the analysis of the twine the entire bit with gordon cole by the way is that he's always yelling Mm -hmm. over the phone and it's he's always just a yelling voice Mm -hmm. and that the this is the estab- the this is the joke being established. The punchline won't happen until a lot later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is he? Is, I can't. I honestly, a lot of this stuff blends together because I watched it all very close together the first time. Is he on screen in season one? I don't believe so. Okay. Um, because I I wonder even if he ever even planned to be on screen. Um, and it just he he followed it up later. Yeah, no, he just kind of says, like, some information on the twine. There's two different types. Uh, they were able to match one of them and give it a, a brand name. And the bites that were on her body are from uh, a bird. That There's a second call later where they get specifically what type of bird, which, um, you know, we'll talk about that plot line when we, when we get there. Uh, but also he talks about, like, how Albert wants to 
punish Sheriff Truman for hitting him in the face and Cooper. Yeah, he's like filed a report and he wants Truman's badge taken away. I got an OJ and an AFO here from Albert concerning (laughs) his mano y mano with the local Sheriff Truman. Albert wants this guy's badge, Coop. And Cooper defends him. Gordon, here's how it is. You know, Albert, in my opinion, Sheriff Truman displayed the patience of a saint not clocking him a day earlier than he did. He wants it filed with the U.S. attorney. File it under F for forget it. Cooper. And you tell Albert that if he wants to pursue this, I'll fight him all the way up the chain to Washington. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't even realize this line because it's so quick because Gordon's like, Cooper, Coop, don't get excited. Hang up Bobby now. And then he hangs up on him. <laughs> Talk to you later, Gordon. Hangs <laughs> up on him. I didn't even catch Gordon's line watching it. It's very good. He does get so excited in that uh, all the way up to the chain to Washington. That mm. might be the, the loudest Cooper ever gets in the entire series. Maybe. Uh. Harry, of course, you know, thanks him for, for standing up for him, being on his side. Uh, oh, actually, oh, do you want to do Cooper's next line? It's really good. Harry, the last thing I want you to worry about while I'm here is some city slicker I brought into your town relieving himself upstream. Ugh. <laughs> 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 oh. All right, Andy, uh, time for more plot. Andy comes in with uh, the sketch of Bob, all caps Bob, and Cooper immediately says, this is the man I saw in my dream. And yeah, we get some more dialogue that connects that Cooper saw the same man in his dream that Sarah Palmer is seeing in her visions. Mm -hmm. This intrigues the Coop. Yeah, Um. yeah. I, I had an intuition that my dream and Sarah Palmer's vision were connected. I didn't go with you this morning because I didn't want to influence her. I'm a strong cinder. <laughs> and then, like, casually, like, just like, the eyes were a bit closer together. And then, like, that's the end of the... <laughs> so good. Um, but, yeah, then the uh, Hawk calls in. He doesn't... We don't hear the dialogue, but they found the, uh, the one-armed man. So they go to, to uh, talk to him at a, a motel. Yeah, he, yeah he was, he's apparently traveling, so they catch him at a motel. But, uh, yeah, I guess we do cut right to that, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, well, cut to a we cut right different to different people at the same motel. Mm-hmm. This episode is a great ex- has has this and then another even grander example of a show that uh, a show a thing that the show does really well, which is that it will establish one place, uh, like one location but you'll follow like five different plot threads in it. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I suppose it's a very Lynch style thing to kind of just like slide from one scene to another in that sense. Mm. Uh, and we do it here by what we're, we're cutting to an entirely different plot, but it is directly connected to what we were just talking about because Catherine and Benjamin Horn to adulterous lumber mill conspirators yeah. <laughs> are, are having a, a a private tryst in the same motel that Cooper and Truman are headed towards to meet the one-armed man. Mm-hmm. I mean, long story short, they they want to set the still doing that still doing that burning thing they want to do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they want to burn it down, but they want to make it look like. And this is partly why Catherine has this second uh, ledger that spells a story she wants to tell. She wants to burn the place down, hire someone to burn the place down. And make it seem like she, Josie, make it seem like Josie did it as insurance fraud to, like, get out of a failing business because they just want full uh, control of all the land. Um, that's uh, it. The scene is good, but we're simplifying the, the lumber plot because you're welcome. Also outside, speaking of Josie, 
Uh, she is outside, I, I believe, tailing these two. It's not really clear in these episodes, but she's outside. Yeah, I think you're right about that. That would make the most sense. It confused me, but I think you are correct. That that's yeah. why she is here. But I, we don't this really is, this is stick the, with her for very long. Yeah, this plot, I don't uh, have the fondest uh, recollection of. It is not my focus <laughs> of the show. But I don't dislike it by any means. Uh, but yeah, she is outside taking pictures in her car, and I think she dips around the time that the uh, cops show up to to talk to the one-armed man in a different uh, motel room. And they are, like, knocking on the door. Someone. Oh my god, this episode, this transcript has a bunch of invitation to love lines that are apparently in the playing background, from yeah. the TV in the background in that in that hotel room scene with benjamin and Catherine that i have i don't think ever heard i I noticed them but i didn't like think about them in context of the scene but they're all intentionally in context of the scene one of them is uh the 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 fictional character montana saying let's get one thing straight i didn't spend the evening busting up the amazons by blowing darts and then (laughs) then trails off and so fucking funny yeah yeah. i love how stupid this show Mm -hmm. within a show is yeah what what, yeah while you're watching a soap let's see a soap opera turned up to like 11 in the back yeah uh but yeah so outside of the 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 one-armed man's door they're like knocking and trying to get in someone makes the mistake of handing andy a gun and he just kind of immediately uh shoots it by accident he drops it and it goes off it's like they knock on the door and they're like mr gerard and then andy drops his gun and it goes off so it's (laughs) oh it's real bad yeah yeah, he's a he's a big lug. But yeah, so they they end up just breaking down the door. He's like in a towel. They they found the right guy. This is this is the the guy they're looking for. He's got one arm. They talk to him a little bit more. Um also I do want to they proceed to profile him because he has one arm and Cooper had a dream about him. <laughs> I, I, I I would say it's that paired with Hawk seeing him like weirdly snoop around the hospital. That is true, yeah. But, uh, and, and again, like, this is the, like, you, 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 when you say it that way, it's like, yeah, no, it is absurd. But, like, of course, we've, we've also, like, we, we put stock in Cooper's dreams, so we think yeah, there's something there. Um, and it's the same person, it's like, so, like, same actor, so. And, but, but his story, it's a, it's a funny scene because the mic that we saw in Cooper's dream is much more dour, serious. He is a phantom, yeah. Frightening. He's a sp- he's a spiritual figure, whereas this guy is just a door to door shoe salesman mm-hmm. trying to d- trying to do his best out there, and and you t- you kind of like don't really get like you think at first maybe that he might just be lying, like that might just be a cover, but it kind of becomes clear from the performance yeah. that it's not really a cover because. Uh, Cooper like confronts him about his about his lost arm and whether or not he had a tattoo on it. And there's kind of a tension where you're like, oh, he's going to get him. Cooper's got him. He had a, he had a tattoo and, you know, you can see by his reaction that he did, but he doesn't want to talk about it. And then he admits it said mom mm-hmm. <laughs> and he starts crying, which poor, poor guy. Yeah. But from from what it looks like. Despite being the same guy from the dream. And his middle name is Mike, and he has a friend named Bob, but it's not the same. It doesn't look like the picture that Andy drew. Right. Um, um, so there's, there's interesting Mike looks lines. the same, but his friend Bob is just a veterinarian in town who doesn't look anything like 
scraggly long hair mm-hmm. capital b capital o capital b bob mm-hmm. i do want to point out that benjamin horn in the other motel room is looking out the window uh and he says you know let me know if there's any bloodshed and he picks up a tiny doll of elvis and goes to take a shower and says i'm going to give little elvis a bath what is happening what is i that? don't i don't i could not have told you that happened if you t- asked me about it <laughs> i'm just gonna google little elvis like i don't know <laughs> is that if, a euphemism like, i don't know if Right, like, I don't know if it's... He has an actual tiny doll of Elvis. So, like, there's an extent to which he's probably serious. I have Google searched Little Elvis, and what's making this difficult is there is apparently an animated Australian television show, children's show, called Little Elvis and the Truck Stoppers. Okay. And that I don't think is related. Wait, there's an Urban Dictionary entry for Little Elvis? Oh, a fond name for, a personification of, or a euphemism alluding to an individual's real or artificial dick. See, that's what I was thinking when he said it, but it is interesting because he has an actual doll in his hand. That looks like the king, the king, Elvis, is reputed to have used the term to refer to his own penis. Okay, we've done some serious research. We're the detectives now. But he has a, he actually carries a doll around with him Mm -hmm. that's a little Elvis. I guess just for the bit. It's a good bit. It is funny. I might steal it, but you know, <laughs> it's it's an odd fit for Benjamin Horn, I think. Yeah, uh, so yeah, he goes off to do that. Noticeably, he drops something and doesn't realize he drops it. It is a poker chip from One-Eyed Jacks, and Catherine picks it up. I don't remember if that matters, but she has it now. I guess everyone's just learning a bunch of stuff about uh, each other in complicated ways. Uh, so yeah, this is, yeah, the, the conversation with, uh, Mike, the one-armed man continues. We basically already talked about it and yeah, he's, he's a veterinarian in town. Not, not Mike, but his friend is a veterinarian yeah, in yeah, town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike this, is, this a, Mike is a shoes. Ger- shoes or rather, his name isn't even Mike. It's his middle name. This is Mr. Gerard, mm-hmm. who looks like Mike from the dream and has his middle name, Mike. This guy is a door-to-door shoe salesman. Yeah, I don't think this is confusing at all. Um, but yeah, he, <laughs> it, it, Andy accidentally like opens up his uh, like briefcase and it's just a bunch of shoes. And he's like, I sell those. And it's like, they're all for the right foot. That's how it works or how it used to work. Yeah, it's a, it's a sample case. And yeah, he's like, he, he yeah, two-day delivery guaranteed. Oh, we could certainly take care of all your department. He starts to sell shoes to the cops. Um, and then, yeah, they do the the tattoo conversation. He cries when he says that it was mom. And then they uh, head outside. Hawk tells Harry that there was a car staked out here before them. And he seems to know that it's Josie Packard. I guess he's just really good at what he does. He seems like it. Everybody seems to like him, too. Yeah. He seemed nope, nobody's got good. beef with there's a there's a scene. I think we I think it's when they arrived at the ho- at the motel. Where there's just some dude there on a mic who's like, Hawk, what's it going on? Like, <laughs> it's like Hawk has friends, whereas these other people, mm-hmm. like Hawk has friends with the, is friends with the background characters. Yeah. Is like what I'm saying. Is mm-hmm. everybody loves Hawk? How could you not? So the next scene is in the school. It is Audrey and Donna. I really like this scene. I don't know if we need to like read any of it or spend too much time on it. I just think it's. Uh, really good this first season kind of ends up having like and this is kind of like getting all the pieces together for it but the the end of this first season ends up having like 
uh, a teen plot that's kind of separate from the adult plot mm-hmm. in some ways, in that we get Audrey, Donna, James, Madeline, all of these characters kind of have their own little teen detective investigations yeah. going on while Cooper at all also have their investigation going on. And uh, this is this is just some some plot to get that. This is some exposing to get that plot rolling. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if any of this is new information or if it's just confirming things that we've seen C- before. Confirming things, confirming what they know that Audrey knows and she's now telling Donna if you're, you know. It's kind of a summary of the case from their perspective mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, she she figures out that Laura was seeing Dr. Jacoby. Uh, I really like this exchange where Audrey says, you ever heard of One-Eyed Jacks? And Donna says, isn't that that Western with Marlon Brando? <laughs> I just... That made me laugh really hard. Um, and uh, yeah, as I uh, continue to talk about it, Audrey points out that both uh, Laura and Renette were working at the same place on her dad's shop at the perfume counter. Renette, if you forgot, is the second victim of... Mm-hmm. She's in a coma. The same, the same murderer who killed Laura Palmer, but Renette is still alive mm-hmm. in a coma. Um, yeah, so they they want to... They wanna, look into stuff they, they you know audrey's like well, let's let's you know let's let's work together on this i guess compare notes yeah. yeah and donna's like okay but it has to stay completely between us which i think she says because she knows audrey has a thing for the detective mm-hmm. um so now we get the aforementioned scene with hank hank being norma the diner owner's husband mm-hmm. who is in prison but this is his parole hearing. Uh, we learned last time or two episodes ago, something like that, that he was up for parole. And this is his parole hearing. And some quick. So it's a very nice kind of uh, it's a very moody scene. But yeah. you can summarize it quickly by saying that Norma is begrudgingly vouching for her husband to get parole, even though she's in love with Big Ed and wants mm-hmm. to divorce her husband, but only by offering hank her husband a job is he able to get out of prison and so she's Mm -hmm. kind of like she's stuck between a rock and a hard place and she's gonna be in a shitty situation because she's gonna have to live with a person that she doesn't like because she's doing a good thing for him (laughs) absolutely um and uh he uh spoilers won't really repay it in kind no uh but yes uh that is that is a, a very succinct summary of that scene uh it ends with them not knowing if if he's gonna get parole or not Notably, he's playing with a domino that's a double three. Mm-hmm. Does that add up to six? I don't know how dominoes work. Um, it depends on what game you're playing. You can think of dominoes as like traditional playing cards and that there are many different games that you can play with them. But typically, uh, it, typically most games with dominoes are about connecting the ends. So if you got a say you had a three slash a four. To play the next domino, you would have to have a four slash of something or a three slash of something, and you're kind of building out from there. Doubles often let you go twice, I think, or something along those lines. I'm learning so much about dominoes. I played a lot with my grandma. Oh, nice. I think it was called, like, I think the kind we called was called, like, Mexican train dominoes or something. It was fun. Cool. The dominoes had pretty colored dots, so I always liked that. Mm, that's a, You gotta get the good-looking dominoes. Like, each, each number... you. It was good for my young brain because 
you know, before you memorize, before you memorize like pip patterns on, on dice or in this case on dominoes, it was like, okay, the sixes, I don't even have to count because I know they're always purple. Oh, it's good to good to learn my numbers. And now do you still have an association with the color purple and the number six? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I'm not a I'm not a synesthete. OK, but that's that's an interesting point. That I wonder if that's where that arises. I don't know enough about synesthesia, but I bet me neither. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe someone will explain it to us on Twitter or the Discord. Who could say? Yeah. Anyways, in the in the show Twin Peaks, what happens next is uh they go to a, uh, Cooper and Harry go to a convenience store. He buys twine here. I think I don't think he uses it or it's, explains why in this episode. But he does end up buying twine at this convenience store. He also reminds Harry that uh in my dream, Mike said he and Bob lived above a convenience store. So he's he's his brain's always moving. He don't stop. We had to the, yeah, and just another stop on that, <laughs> this whirlwind tour of Cooper's brain. We go to the veterinary clinic, mm-hmm. owned and, op- or I suppose operated, I guess, I don't know how vet clinics work, but the, <laughs> the veterinary clinic of Bob Lidecker, mm-hmm. who is the best friend of Mr. Mr. Gerard, Gerard yeah. the one-armed man. They go to the front desk woman and show her a picture of our Bob, Spirit Bob, Capital Bob, Evil Bob, Caps Bob, Caps Bob, and she's like, "No, that's not Doctor Lidecker. You ha- you have the wrong Bob." Mm-hmm. Um, but Cooper still makes weird demands, like, "We're going to need all of your. F- we need to confiscate all of your files." Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> this poor woman. He, his, his his reasoning is just like, you know, I'm just gonna follow what I have. Maybe the short version of this is like he he asks if he you know he treats birds. Of course he does, and he's like. I am going to get info on every bird that has been treated in this town, which sure. I get that. Sure. Why not? It's a, th- it's, it's a lead, I suppose. It's a small town, uh, but probably not too yeah. many. Although there are a lot of animals in here. Yeah. There's like a llama. There was a, <laughs> there is a llama that like walks through the scene in a very, uh, and a like very makes eyes at Cooper. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Move bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Harry's like, there are other vets here. And Cooper's like, yes, but only one has a best friend with one arm. Harry. Then the llama walks through, uh, and he continues. <laughs> in the heat of the investigative pursuit, the shortest distance between two points is not necessarily a straight line. Oh, I love Andre Tarkovsky. Mm-hmm. He take, let's see, he takes all the files. Yep, yeah, they take they take the files. Um, they go on and uh, investigate them later. It becomes the whole deal. Uh, then we have a scene with Shelly and Bobby in uh, her home. <laughs> I just think they're like making out. And like, you know, talking in that making out voice. And Bobby starts talking about James Hurley in that voice. Uh, and I just, oh, it made me laugh. It's like, I'm going to fix him. And uh, yeah, then they, he basically, he learned, he, he tells this story about Leo. He's like, I think he's into running drugs with, across the border with, with Jacques Renault. Oh, you think? Yeah. And he, yeah, he basically tells the story as if he's not in it. He's like, yeah, he's selling yeah. to. The high schoolers, and I think you saw the Laura as if he wasn't uh, completely inside. I suppose Shelly probably would be upset if she knew. Yeah. And she reveals that she has the jacket with the blood on it from the pilot, and he takes it. He has a plan that he's going to do to to take care of Leo, and um, she uh, sexily asks him to, to teach her how to use the gun that she has. A uh, weird way to end the scene? But who am I to tell them not? <laughs> Compels to, me, I though. Uh huh. Let's see. What do we get? We get uh, boxes and boxes of veterinary files being transferred mm-hmm. into 
the sheriff's department, we get a scene where we get some firearm training after Andy's mishap, and we kind of get an idea of everyone's skill level, which is that Andy is very bad with a gun. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is very good, especially Cooper, who is comically accurate. Uh, Hawk reads out a very nice poem that he wrote for his girlfriend. Uh, We learn that Lucy and Andy are kind of on the rocks right now, and Andy doesn't understand why. Yeah, can we just... This is not the first scene in which the the Lucy-Andy divide has been uh, brought up, but Mm -hmm. I do want to read this one. There's this one really quick where Andy describes, uh, you know, dropping the gun. It's like, Lucy, did you hear what happened? I feel so dumb. I dropped my gun and it went off. Lucy says, are you all right? Oh, yeah, I guess so, but... I would like to chat, but I am now under orders to examine these files. So if you excuse me, please. <laughs> and she please. leaves. Uh, it's... Once she knows he's all right, she's like, okay, yeah, I can okay, be back yeah. to being mad at you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's so funny to hear her do this. Like you can, you can feel in her tone that she's forcing herself to be curt because it just mm-hmm. is so unnatural for her. She's not an angry person. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's... there's he doesn't know why, and neither do we, the viewer, yet. Um, but yeah, they do some uh, some target practice. Yeah, yeah, the, you mentioned the, the poem, which is great. They establish that Cooper is, like, too good with a gun. He's like, I only uh-huh. see four shots. And he's like, yeah, I, I put f- two in each eye two hole. Two through each eye and one through each nostril. <laughs> and yeah, they... Uh, hey, Harry asks if Cooper was ever married, and he says, no, but he has been taught the pain of a broken heart. And then that's when he fires his gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hawk does his poem now, and Lucy uncovers that the files are in alphabetical order in the pet's names, um, which means that it's going to take a lot of extra work to sort out all of the birds. Um, so they go, They're going to need a lot it. of coffee and donuts. Uh, you love to see it. Um, Norma, back at the double R, uh, she gets a call and learn, uh, well, first Shelly shows up and they bond over having two men. This is the other scene I was talking about earlier, by the way, of a scene that established where we're moving into this new location and we're going to hit like three or four different plot lines just by sitting here. It's so cool. It's a small town. The double R, they often use the double R for this because... Yeah, because it's a small town, there aren't that many restaurants, it's, it's, so you can just be like, of course they're also here. It's, it's the place where people go to be safe. It is like this polar opposite of the Great Northern. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, they bond over having uh, relationship troubles. I believe Norma at one point says, two men each and, nothing, and don't know what to do with any of the four of them. Yeah, they kind of commiserate about their, mm-hmm. their problems. Uh, clarify some of the deets on Hank's parole. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they they make plans to have like a girls' night. Uh, yeah. Later, I, I I said that Norma gets a call. I'm thinking of a later scene uh, that I'll we'll, we'll mm-hmm. get to. And yeah, this is when uh, James walks in and goes straight to the payphone and calls Donna. Donna answers right after she answers. There's like a voice yelling on her end. So we cut over into the Hayward house and she says, uh, hold on. And then <laughs> yeah, the dog says, as you mentioned earlier in this episode, the doc Hayward, her dad just doesn't Shouts even, apparently doesn't realize that she's on the phone, just yells across the house. Whoever heard a diet lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> Donna's like, I'll, uh, I'll be right in. I'm talking to James. <laughs> 
Oh. Uh, she talks to James for a second again, then he has another line. Well, tell him to get over here. I need help. SOS. Mayday. Mayday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I I have to stand Doc Hayward now. She invites James over. He first because they're having a church potluck that Mm -hmm. uh, apparently her dad wants help on for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mayday. And uh, he's like, I don't think it'd be very good company. My forehead's very big. Uh, Yeah. People are going to try and play tic-tac-toe on it. And uh, they they does that, none of the hats are gonna fit. Yeah, no, and it's so vital that you wear a hat to a church potluck. That's in the rule book. Yeah. Um, but Donna explains like some of the, you know, the 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 teen detective plot that she's on now. She's like, Audrey told me some information stuff. is being transferred between characters. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, which and makes and great the audience is being reminded of details that we've already reminded you of. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, just yeah, a lot of uh, people getting on the same page, which is uh, valuable to see. Never happens mm-hmm. in Kingdom Hearts, so we don't have to deal with this no. much. Um, but here's another important. Well, thing. I mean, it does, but oh, usually sure. that happens with like. Usually, I get to say Mickey it in this will voice. Be like, Riku, when you I when think you about, woke up from your ansom dream and uh, fell into the <laughs> and fell into the timeless river dimension, I'm making literally, up those events, but literally, it's literally like that. No joke. I think about that fucking scene in Kingdom Hearts three where they just describe that's the, one the I'm, plot. That's the one I'm thinking of. It's so it's bad. So bad. Uh, <laughs> I I li- I described that to someone in detail like three days ago. <laughs> Because it's so obnoxious. It haunts my brain. Takes up real estate. Anyways, they get off the phone now that they... And that's how nobodies are formed, as you know. Yeah, there's a lot of, oh, yes, I know this. But uh, that's, this is also true. And then they go on. Uh, anyways, James uh. James gets off the phone and uh, Mickey Mouse is there. <laughs> no, he's not. But he, he does meet somebody whose name starts with an M. Uh, it's Madeline, the the cousin who looks just like Laura, obviously played by the same actress. Uh, who's but great. it's not the cousin from the dream. No, who looks exactly no, that's like oh. Laura Palmer. It it is Laura's actual you cousin know. who is played by Sherilyn Fenn wearing a black wig. Would this make more sense if Mickey Mouse explained it? Now that I'm, I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> so no, I don't. So this, she's not. Laura just has a cousin who looks exactly like her, except she has black hair instead of blonde, mm-hmm. and it's curly, and her name is Madeline. Yeah, she's not in a dream. Here now. Yeah, the, the yeah. dream, the dream uh, which is in the script just says beautiful woman, and that's only how Cooper mm-hmm. describes her as well. Uh, but anyways, Madeline, the cousin, runs into James, and he's so clearly taken by someone who is, uh, looks exactly like Laura, who he was in love with. Um, <laughs> the dead person that he's in love with. Yes. yes. Um, and uh, I'm sure that's so striking. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl, Cheryl Flynn. Uh, no, what is that? Cheryl, Cheryl Lee. I'm thinking of Cheryl Flynn, Flynn is, I think. Right? Cheryl and Finn er, uh, plays uh, Audrey. <laughs> Cheryl Lee plays oh. uh, Laura. Oh, and, you're right. God, I, I always get them mixed up. Same. Yeah. Fuck. Uh, it, 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 it can happen to you. Uh, but yeah, uh, Cheryl Lee playing Madeline in the scene just has such a big, nice smile. And it just, it, I just wanted to say it because she says, I live in Missoula. As she mm-hmm. smiles real wide. Um, <laughs> did you know Laura well? And James is like, I thought I did. They have a nice dynamic, the two of them. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. It's not really in this episode much. Uh, but you know, no. Madeline sticks around and, uh, yeah, they, they, this is them meeting and, uh. She'll eventually be part of the teen detective plot. Mm-hmm. Yep, she just uh, is picking up food uh, for uh, 
her her aunt and uncle Sarah and Leland because they're having breakdowns. Um, Madeline's very nice, and but yeah, that that's it. She's like, do you think I look like Laura? And James is like, yeah, uh huh. <laughs> but yeah, that that's the end of that scene. This is okay. Before we leave the the diner, Norma gets the call that I mentioned earlier, which is uh, the confirmation that Hank does in fact get his parole, um, which she is of course torn about like you know it's a it's obviously like a good thing for him but also she is like i didn't really want to be closer to him but i had to do what i yeah, had to do she's stuck man mm-hmm. I, I don't envy her in the slightest yeah. but that ends this beautiful sequence of one location yep. four scenes it's just so cool it's great we go to benjamin horn's office where he is having a he's on an exercise bike staring a very, into his fire having a very inane conversation over the phone with his obnoxious brother jerry horn audrey comes in and tries to talk her dad into giving her a job because behind the scenes because she wants to investigate laura's death laura and ronette's uh, mm-hmm. the attack on laura and ronette by getting a job at her dad's department store, hopefully in the perfume counter, because that's where the two of them work. Yeah. So she's trying to be like, I'm so sorry. I got to, you know, you're right. I'm I've not been good enough to the family business and I want to turn myself around. And he doesn't really believe her. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he but he doesn't believe but it kind of works, I guess. I, does, I guess she does end up getting the job. So, yeah, she 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 gets through to him enough where she he's like, yeah. he's like, I guess this would be beneficial. Um, so yeah. he, he, he goes with it. Um, but, uh, he gets another call at the end, uh, yeah. from someone different, uh, who we don't hear that side of the convo, there's a, but, there's, uh, there's, he says, meet me down by the river in a half an hour and be discreet. And we'll see. Yeah. That he, he says that after he sends, uh, Audrey out of the room, but before that, there's a really great split, uh, diopter shot of the, the two of them, which now I just notice whenever I see one of those shots. Um, there's a split. There's a what? Sorry. And I think I think it's pronounced split diopter. It's like two shots like layered in such a way where like the foreground and the background are in focus. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that as like a deep focus shot. But yeah, the, you're, they were probably right. Yeah. That is the more technical. I, yeah, term. I think it's, it's just a form for, of for composite shot. Where, yeah. Yeah. It's like a form of composite shot where you're shooting two different things and then layering them such that it looks like the foreground and background but you're compositing two different ones together so you can have both a foreground and background in focus mm-hmm. it's uh you, you learned about it in your film class yeah. if you took it when you saw citizen kane yeah um the spoon the spoon in the medicine on the glass and then her in the bed and then the people busting through it's that shot um but on tv and because it was on tv that now that we see it in high def and you're watching it now is so obviously a composited shot mm-hmm. and it's all fuzzy it looks like there's fucking vaseline over the, the middle <laughs> over the yeah. part where where they're stitched like together the effect, but i'm though. sure on tel- yeah i do too and i'm sure on television that the seams weren't really visible oh, like yeah, on a fucking crt yeah, set, and that's obviously what this was designed for mm-hmm. um but yeah it's, it's it's definitely one of those things where it's like no now that i know the name of this i'm going to notice it every time i see it uh <laughs> uh but it's it's yeah I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the i'm a fan of that effect that like weird blurring yeah. that comes out of it aesthetically um so i that's you know that's basically the only i didn't write down any notes but like that stuck with me uh so i remembered it anyways uh yeah he gets that call um he's gonna meet someone down by the river uh, and he says, be discreet. 
and he'll later chide this person for uh, driving a red Corvette, which is not discreet. Uh, you might recognize Red Corvette if you remember something we talked about an hour ago. Uh, anyways, they are looking through the birds now, the cops in the uh, sheriff's department. And Gordon Cole calls again. Coop, Albert is faxing you his reconstruction of the plat. I don't need to actually read all this. I just really like to do his voice. <laughs> it's fun to yell. It's, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's basically what our show's built on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's not, Dave, I mean, David Lynch does basically just sound like this. He's turning it up to a performance as Gordon, mm-hmm. but there is a, you know, he, he has a very distinct voice, which is just uh, mm-hmm. r- remarkably charming. I retweet uh, every Friday. Uh, he does daily weather reports on his, on his, he's been doing it for a year now um, on his, on his YouTube oh, wow. channel. I had no idea. He That's started incredible. it really early in lockdown and it's been a year now. Hmm. So, but uh, every Friday he'll start them with, he'll say the date and then he'll say, if you can believe it, it's a Friday once again. Um, and it, it brings me unbelievable amounts of joy. There's an account that just tweets that sounds really nice. just tweets those clips, and I always retweet them from the God It Memorized account. But yeah, he, he says uh, the, the important information here, they're, they're, he's about to get a reconstruction of, wh- of where the J came from in uh, Laura's stomach that came from the you know, uh, Albert's uh, autopsy, partial autopsy, I think. Uh, another thing is that the bird, they determine that the marks from the bird are made by either a parrot or a mina bird. So that also narrows down the bird search. Yeah, we find out that the letter in the stomach contents was from a poker chip from mm-hmm. One-Eyed Jacks. And at the same well, time, it's just a poker Andy chip, finds... but they can narrow it down pretty quickly to One-Eyed Jacks. That's right. And then Andy finds in the files at the same time. He, fi- he, he found Waldo. Waldo. <laughs> yeah, he found him. There's a parrot. There's a minor bird, rather, named Waldo, owned by Jacques Renault, who we know has been involved in this drug running business mm-hmm. and and involved in the One Eyed Jack stuff. And so a lot of things the, seem to line it's up. It's hard right to now. tell what's at the center of this, but we got a lot of pieces converging yep. essentially. And Cooper figures that's enough pieces converging that let's. Pay a visit to Mr. Yeah. Jacques Renault. Gentlemen, when two separate events occur simultaneously pertaining to the same object of inquiry, we must always pay strict attention. And off uh, they go. Um, but. Like when maple syrup collides with ham. Yeah. <laughs> Very important. Uh, so they go to his house. This is uh, nearly the end of the episode. We're wrapping up. Before they. He's not home. He, we'll, we'll learn that he is staying on the other side of the Canadian border for. for for the foreseeable future in a later scene. Uh, but they go to his home, but someone is in there, and it's young Bobby Briggs. What's he doing? Uh, Bobby boy, what, what the, the fuck bopper. are you doing there? H- hanging out in the Jacques Renault's. Who's that Bobby Boppin'? Whatever French for man cave is. <laughs> uh, he is, what he's, what he's doing is stashing the bloody jacket at Jacques' uh, house right. uh, to... Well, he, I guess, in his mind, frame them. In reality, it's, they are actually connected. Like, it's fake evidence, but it leads <laughs> yeah. to basically the correct solution in the long it's run. Pla- it is planted, it's planted evidence that helps. A correct. <laughs> but it helps yeah. the detectives. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which um, is fascinating conceptually uh, on, on, a, on the, just the face of it. Bobby runs out the window. The cops lose him. He's, you know, in the clear now. But they find the jacket. Very unsubtly hanging out of a drawer covered in blood. And uh, mm-hmm. they, they, they. It's got his, it's got Leo Johnson's initials yeah, monogrammed into it. Yeah. And Truman's like, this is our connection. Which, like, it's a fake connection, but 
it's also a technically not wrong. <laughs> he did just yeah, take him across because, the border. Because I guess that's what we cut to right yep. now, right? Is Leo and we find out he's the one with the red sports car. He's the one with the convertible we've been hearing mm-hmm. all about. He's standing there in the middle of the woods with his sports car. And Benjamin Horn, who we just learned was going to meet, meet someone by the river uh, in half an hour. Uh, we see him meeting Leo, and he says, nice touch, Leo, nice touch. Bright red sports car for a secret meeting, nice. Yeah, and uh, they basically talk the the gist of this. Lumber mill plot. Yeah, the gist of this is that this is Leo is who Benjamin wants to hire to burn down the mill. He explains that he wants it to look, again, like like I said before, uh, look like Josie is, is, is doing it to, for insurance fraud. Um, they talk about other stuff. They, Benjamin mentions Hank's name. So it's clear that he, he, he recommended, uh, Leo to him. So like, you know, more webs being established of how these people are. So now Hank is connected to this lumber mill stuff and we'll get more confirmation of that at the cliffhanger of this. Yep. Leo establishes that he took, uh, Jacques Renault across the border who he's planning to stay there for a while. And it, you know, they just say he's staying there. You know, how long, uh, also he killed his brother Bernard. (laughs) Yep. He's like, uh, Leo killed. Yes. yes. Er, yeah, Leo. Leo killed Bernard Renault. Got to be specific with uh, with names. Yeah. In this show. Um, I, I, I like this exchange. Like Leo's obviously a, a piece of shit, but he's like, I told he's like, uh, did Bernard give you up? And Leo's like, I told him if he ever did, I'd kill him. And then we like, there's his dead body. Uh, and Ben's like, oh, did he did he give you up? And Leo's like, nah, he shouldn't have trusted me. So good. <laughs> what a slime bag. Yeah. yeah. It is great. Yeah. Compelling slime bag. Uh, and then, yeah, Ben, ben uh, just says, keep it simple. Insurance investigators should read arson. Block letter is about six feet high. Uh, so he gets paid. Uh, I think I don't know, he just gives him an envelope, says the rest on delivery. Yeah. So he'll get, you know, uh, you know, all these things work probably. And Ben says, three nights, Leo. Green light. Is that clear enough? Is it? I don't know what that <laughs> the fuck that means i'm guessing that's a mill thing sure yeah but yeah so that's you know that is essentially set in motion or i guess he just means in three nights you have the green light to torch the that's mill, that's what i was assuming that's what i was assuming next we have donna and james seeing like basically trying to see if that vision about the necklace was right they go and try and dig it up and it's actually missing and they're like how could she know like they they are flabbergasted that a woman could have a vision in twin peaks and it be real <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, Donna's like, someone must have seen us. And James is like, no, like, I, if that were the case, why would Laura's mom know yeah. of all people? Uh, and Donna realizes that he's right. And she says, Laura used to say that her mother was kind of spooky. She used to see things. She'd have these dreams. Laura did, too. Uh, and then we immediately cut to an owl like above them hooting above them. Owls become an important symbol in this show. Uh-huh. I kind of interpret them as like the security cameras for the spirit realm to, <laughs> in a way. To an extent. Like you they're, they're kind of what they're like evil watchers. Either way, a, the a, owls are way. not what they see. They're not what they see. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it, like the last episode, there's a, there's a darkness in those woods here, he said. Uh, but the owls are, are watching. Um, a lot of owl imagery, a lot of owl information. In, in the show, so keep an eye out for Al's. Uh, but that, yeah, that's the end of their scene. Or uh, Also, I guess we would assume that someone probably was watching them and it was Jacoby, because he got the necklace. But That's true. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, 
I'll go ahead and say I don't think he's using the owls as security cameras. No. Uh, anyways, the next scene is a little bit of more uh, just not really plot even, but like Josie talks to Harry on the phone in her home. He he's like, I'm busy with looking at birds. I can't come see you. And but they they need to talk later. He asks if she was at the motel, and she's like, Uh, bye. <laughs> Bye, late. Uh, funny. Look at the time. Yeah, goodbye. Bye. Uh, and uh, you know, our best friend Pete Martell has walked in now. Um, so invites her to go fishing. Yeah, blow the whistle, Josie. It's quitting time. <laughs> she, she asks how the day <laughs> get, went. She makes him a a sandwich. He asks for mayo mm-hmm. because Catherine's not awake, so he can eat as much mayonnaise <laughs> as he likes. And then yeah, he invites her to go. Yeah. To join him in a doubles fishing competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's, you know, she's like, I don't know anything about fishing. And he's like, oh, there's enough fishing in me for the both of us. And she agrees. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just, you know, they have a, you know, cute interactions on screen. Josie gets, uh, Josie opens a letter for her in the mail and pulls it out. It is just a drawing of a domino. That is double threes, or maybe a six, hard to tell, (laughs) of the interpretation of how to read it. But after opening it, she gets a phone call from Hank, still in a cell. Uh, But he's just like, did you get my message? And she says yes, and then he's like, catch you later, and hangs it up. And like, I don't know how, I don't know how phone calls work. And takes his double three domino. And and sucks on it. Slurps it right up. Yeah. I don't know how, like... He's about to get on parole. I don't know how phone calls work when you're in jail, but there is something to me about him using a phone call just to say, did you get that thing I sent you? Okay, bye. Just like menace, menacingly, <laughs> well, menacingly. Yeah, it's, it's for the intimidation of it. Yeah, it, yeah and it's it effective. Funny, it is effective in that way. She hangs up. Episode yeah, end. she hangs up the phone, and that is the ending of our episode. Uh, lots of stuff in motion, lots of stuff to keep track of, and that's you know what we're here for. The extent we can provide uh but now that we're we're done discussing this episode uh wheels where can people find you on the internet twitter.com slash singular wheels and a podcast called very random encounters where some friends and i play tabletop role-playing games and randomly determine as much as is possible we're currently playing bubblegum shoe and having a lot of fun with it if you liked the teen mystery drama bits of twin peaks you're gonna love bubblegum shoe because uh, that's what it is <laughs> it's an improvised uh, right now uh, our season of bubblegum shoe on very random encounters is an improvised teen mystery series you'll like it you can find it at vre.show oh, yeah. and you can buy the book of fantasy random encounters that my vre co-hosts and i wrote at bit.ly forward slash random book with a capital r and b what about you joe oh you can find myself on twitter.com uh, at ghost of joe uh, there you can find me. Uh, I tweet sometimes, probably. The, the main things that I'm doing is I, I, I have another podcast, of course, called We Are Watching uh, One Piece, where I'm discussing my rewatch of One Piece with my co-host Jory, watching it for the first time. As of, uh, sure, I, I'm pretty sure this episode's going to be coming out in June, or at least pretty damn... Yeah, June, June 1st is when it's on the public feed, uh, which means we're going to be starting Dress Rosa this month at last. It's going to take several months to get through it it's a long ass arc but i'm enjoying what we've recorded so far uh it's a big busy arc there's a lot to keep track of 
So, you know, between Twin Peaks and this, I'm going to have a busy summer. Uh, I'm also writing essays on Disney movies. I've been uh, doing them just in order. I'm just writing about every movie that the main studio has produced. Um, I'm getting like the 70s and the 80s now. Uh, some weird kind of lulls in those times. But My condolences. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, there's some cool stuff in there. Yeah, there, there's some interesting stuff. It, you know, it, even if all the movies are winners, there's compelling stuff in the way that, like, the studio evolves, which I get into a lot. I'm interested in that stuff, but uh, yeah, no, there's only a matter of time until Katzenberg and Eisner get hired, and then then there's a whole journey ahead of me. Eventually, you're gonna have to if you follow if you follow this project to its logical end, you're gonna start writing about Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all roads lead to Quibi wheels. <laughs> uh, uh, I I I. I on, also, similarly, I'm like, do I need to write? A, do I need to make a bonus essay about Shrek because Katzenberg's so is a big deal? <laughs> um, I don't want to write about Shrek. Uh, I'll get canceled online. Um, but uh, anyways, you can find uh, that project called Make Mine Movies. Uh, I've, I've mentioned it in uh, who knows how many plugs now. You can uh, read the essays at ghostofdo.com. It'll redirect you. I tweet them off every time I release them Mondays and Fridays. Uh, you can also listen to me read them to you if you search for Make Mine Movies in your podcast app or your Spotify, wherever you'd like to do them. They're usually like 10-minute listens uh, or less um, because I, I try to put a, a, a word cap on a, how, how long it takes me to, to say the things I want to say. Anyways, uh, yeah, those are my, those are my things. Uh, Make Mine Movies. We are watching One Piece. Uh, now I'm going to plug some stuff for this podcast. You can find this show's Twitter, MemorizeCast, twitter.com slash MemorizeCast, where we ret- retweet bits jokes related to any of the stuff we've covered uh and that is the main thing uh plotquas we yeah, uh-huh. re- retweet plotquas means i mean i tweet when episodes are come out but y'all have podcatchers probably you probably know i almost never tweet except when the you tweeted mood one strikes thing. me like yesterday you tweeted and one I thing tweet- <laughs> and it was like it, it read as like i could have made this tweet i know <laughs> I was like, I wonder if Joe has already tweeted this, and then I just typed the words "research wide Luke's." I, I tweeted a couple. Tweet. I t- tweeted a couple weeks ago that I was becoming a Luke's or truther, but I re- I remember that one. So yeah. this felt like the logical conclusion, but you did beat me to uh-huh. it. So that uh-huh. that that was very fun. Uh, and I won't explain what being a Luke's or truther refers to, nor what wide Luke's or theory no, is. But they both <laughs> refer to things. I promise you. Oh, I don't think wide Luke's or. I just made that shit oh, okay. up. <laughs> I when, when I tweeted <laughs> because I think about because I think about how flat earthers at yeah, least yeah. used to you, say you research, research flat yeah. earth and just how funny that phrase yeah, is. It's a very funny phrase. It's like big Luke theory, mm-hmm. you know, big big Luke sir theory. Uh, I Whoa. when I when I tweeted about becoming a Luke Luke sir truther, it did refer to something. I just refused to say <laughs> what it is. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I can be pressed on it at a later date. Who could say? We have to go back to Unchained eventually, uh, l- later this summer. Before we do, uh, the world ends with you, Neo. I'm just plugging things that's in our future after season is the season of Twin Peaks is over. Uh, but yes, uh, twittercom slash cast patreoncom slash cast You can get these episodes early for just a dollar a month. But if you bump up to that five dollar tier, you're gonna get a huge backlog of bonus episodes that we've been doing. Uh, and we're gonna do some special bonus episodes this summer. Get really self indulgent. We're gonna do uh, a quick little mini series on the Patreon discussing the plot of the glory hammer records because we both like this band and wheels Good knows power metal band. wheels knows all about it and i don't so um we're gonna we're gonna be digging into to these uh and i'm very excited about it um so yeah you can go check that out uh over there surely that's 
I can't think of anything else to, to, to plug, really. Uh, our theme music comes to us from the Black Lodge. You can find a link to the place I found it in our show notes. It's the best I can do to plug it. I think that about wraps it up. So that was episode four, or The One-Armed Man. Yeah, I didn't memorize As you get closer, you notice that there's like almost like a heat wave effect. That sort of like wobbly mm. stuff in your yeah, vision. I could, just, I could just touch it. I mean, you don't want me to touch it? I could touch it. You could just touch it. Well, let's touch it together. Oh, we do rock paper scissors. Let's do rock paper scissors. Okay, ready? One, two, and then I touch it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a clip from Very Random Encounters, an RPG actual play podcast where we randomly determine as many details as possible. Every season is a completely new story, so we recommend starting off with the first episode of whatever season we're currently running. Once you realize it's your new favorite show, you can dig into the backlog and enjoy stories of strong alien women, communist superheroes, transgender skeletons, and other things that will scare your conservative uncle. That's Very Random Encounters. Find it at www.vre.show or in the usual places. Very Random Encounters.